Hello, hello everyone and welcome to the ninth episode of When the Heart Leads. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Newberg, founder of Books of Eden Publishing, and I am so happy to be with you all today. The title of this episode is In and Through the Body. So we are going to be talking a lot about the body today and especially how um, listening to, working with, fully inhabiting the body is a very powerful way to lead to true thriving. So we'll go into that. First, I, I do want to mention quickly that uh, I got the title of this episode. Um, it's actually the name of a, a song by Trevor Hall. So if anyone listens to him or likes him, it just was so perfect for this episode that I adopted it. So, if, you know, if he's listening or um, just, just thank you. <laughs> thank you. Cause this is the perfect title in and through the body in and through the body is the way our, um, our full dawning, the full dawning of our, um, our actualized selves is going to happen as we step into the new Eden. It is done in and through the body and through that, um, is how we're going to discover um, deep and sustainable thriving. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, to begin, I want to talk a little bit the, about the body um, as we're going to go a lot into this today about the body as it as it is a perfect fractal of the earth. And I'll, I'll explain more about that later. Um, but with that, the body itself is a secret keeper. It's the wisdom keeper of our earthly ascension, of our moving into this, the, what I call the new Eden, which is the, um, the plane of consciousness that exists, um, the heart-centered plane of consciousness that, that, hum that humanity as a collective is moving into. And the body is our guide into that space. And um, our body, as we tune into it, as we listen, it will tell us more and more about its most natural state of thriving and what that looks and feels like and how that can be um, tuned into and sustained. So we're going to definitely talk about all that today. Um, th the way this came in for me was when I understood in a moment, it was one of those like flashes, like I've heard someone call it a fire flash, which I really like, like a, a fire flash, where I, I really understood that our souls are formless and our souls are eternal which means that this body made of earth is what makes us human, right? So our souls can inhabit any number of different um, incarnations, forms, right? But as it, as it interfaces with this, as it downloads, you could say, into a human body, like it's our body that really makes us human, that connects us to the earth itself. And so, as I said, it's kind of like this, this is... And this is a way that our soul, through the um, the magic and the creational intelligence of the earth, this is a way that our souls are able to download into form um, through the human body. And so the body is, in this way, you can think of the body as a perfect fractal of the earth itself. And we've talked about fractals in the podcast before very quickly. The idea of a fractal is that everything... Um, is a it's a perfect a perfect scale replica of everything else. So everything exists within everything. So the ocean exists within the droplet. Um, 
the, you know, it's a, it says I, I talked about like Indra's net. Like if this is a kind of an abstract concept, just we're going to keep working with it. So just kind of let it flow over you. And it's going to, I think as I give more and more context, it's going to make sense. But the idea is that all of the intelligence, all of the power, all of the creative, miraculous creative magic of the earth is actually fully um, accessible through our human bodies because our human bodies are a perfect fractal of the earth itself. So this means that all of the genius and all of the creative wisdom and all of the secrets that the earth holds of how to thrive lives within our bodies. So the more we tune in to our bodies, the more we can understand the, the very earth that we live on, that we live with, that we live within, that we're nourished by. So um, the more we listen and, and respond to the messages of our bodies, the more it has to tell us. So how do we access this? How do we access this creative wisdom, this genius, this thriving, right? It is, um, as with any relationship, as with any relationship, if you're forming a relationship with your body and maybe you've been doing this for a long time, or maybe this is kind of a new concept to you, right? As with any relationship, the more you can deeply listen and respond, right? the more that relationship is going to form within a field of intimacy, the deeper the intimacy will go. And the more, if you've experienced this in, in your relationships, the more you can really felt, feel heard and listened to, the more you're going to reveal in that. And that's intimacy. That's where you become more and more open, um, more and more honest. Right, and so the same thing exists with the body itself. So the more we can listen to what the body tells us, the more it's gonna reveal all of these secrets to us. And this takes time. It's, this is one of those commitments, right, um, that we do when we form a relationship with our body and we really choose to listen, right? It takes time, it takes trust, and it takes commitment because sometimes our body, as we'll go into it later, sometimes our body will tell us things that are, can be difficult to hear or go against whatever we had like intellectually planned for ourselves or things like that. So but the body is, is it exists in, in its own um, state beyond what the mind thinks it should be, right? And so that's where a lot of this, um, the, wi the wisdom of the body, as we listen to it, will, and I, I understand this is a little abstract right now, so we'll go into more specifics, but this is where if we think about it, the wisdom of the body um, can often be at odds um, or contradictory to what our brains think, right? Um, but as we begin to allow the body to speak to us and we respond more and more and the body begins to feel heard, it begins to tell us more and more. It begins to reveal these ancient secrets of thriving that it knows, that it knows very deeply right? These are ancient secrets of thriving, of interdependence, right? Not full independence, not full codependence, but interdependence. The body knows how to do this and um, of belonging. And it also holds within um, the wisdom of the earth and the healing, the healing wisdom of the earth, very ancient secrets of restoration, right? So in one of our episodes, we talked about how um, there is nothing that can't be redeemed, right? That powerful movement of restoration, of, of knowing how to do that, lives within the body, 
because we know it lives within the earth and everything that lives within the earth, all the wisdom of the earth lives within our bodies. It's kind of like mining these secrets like deeper and deeper into intimacy. Um, and so these ancient secrets of restoration are known um, in the beauty and the rhythms of the earth, which then are also, which can be fully accessed and felt through our bodies, right? So there's this huge, well, I'm talking about kind of this powerful alchemy that can exist, a powerful connection we have with the earth itself that um, can teach us when we listen the, the secrets to true thriving in interdependence with her and with all of her beings. So, um, so sorry, I've got notes here. So I just dropped my notebook. Here we go. So <clears throat> I, have a, I have kind of a note here that asks for a moment, like as we're tuning in, right? And as I'm tuning in, I can feel this really in my root chakra. So the, the part that's closest to the earth itself, right? Um, can you feel the rhythm of the earth? Can you feel her heartbeat? Right? A being as large as the earth has a very deep, resonant, and slow heartbeat. So you take a moment, right, to feel kind of that internal pulse of the earth. It feels much, much slower than our, than kind of the often the frantic or hurried pace that we become accustomed to in this world, right? And so all of us have threads of connection to the earth. And um, these threads, these energetic threads go very, very deep within. So there's, um, you could think about chakra points almost. So we know there's, you know, many of us who've worked with this know that there's chakra points within the body. But then there's also in your energetic body chakra points that exist. You could say if you're talking spatially above and below the body and um, I work with, with a woman who has a, um, a powerful earthly connection, the f kind of that first light connection, and she talks about a, a chakra point that we, we all have that's very, very close to the, the center of the earth, right? And you could talk about the physical center or the energetic center, um, but we, we exist there. There's a part of our body, a part of our being that exists there. And it's oftentimes these threads, these deep threads of connection to the wisdom of the earth, to the... Um, we, the, the uncorrupted, uncorruptible wisdom of her being, these threads are often unknown. Like we don't know they exist. They're unacknowledged. We might feel cut off, right? Cut off from her nurturing, from her nourishing, from her wisdom. And so once, and so now just speaking of it so that it becomes, you know, part of your conscious awareness, just speaking of these threads, they'll, they'll start to become activated. They'll start to become activated. And you can also ask um, that they become activated. And the earth is, you know, she's the an embodiment of the divine mother. So when you ask for this kind of connection, this nurturing and this nourishing, she's always there. So that will, um, once you, once you, once you uh, are aware of these deep threads of connection, you, you ask that they become fully activated and open. You're going to begin to receive a flood of nurturing and knowing kind of a, a direct communication of what it is that your body needs to be able to fully thrive and how to receive that, right? So one of the biggest lessons that we have as humans um, is to learn how to fully receive that kind of nourishing and, and nurturing and that love. 
And we can't expect to move into the new Eden that's upon us without a change happening in our bodies. So this is a, this is, can be a bit of a preparation. So, and I'll talk, um, what's coming through is to talk a little bit at some point about specifically the changes that began to happen in my body, right? Which is a very individualized experience, very individualized, like everyone's gonna have their own, but there will be shifts, there will be changes. And this will happen as you, as you start to um, co-create with the earth, as you start to come in resonance with her, your, your bodies, your very bodies will shift. And I know we had an episode where I talked about the unraveling of the dark threads from our DNA. And that's one of the ways you can conceive of this happening is this purity of being is going to, is going to start to become very present in, um, in your, in your embodiment. Right. Um, and we often, in this world, and later in the episode, I'm going to talk more about this, but there is a bit of a, um, there, there is a bit of a disconnect often in our world. So if you think about the systems of our world, and we've talked about this, especially I think in the episode on redemption and also the episode on soul healing, when you, when you think about the systems that govern our world right now, and I talked about how those are thought forms. They're, they're essentially um, mentally constructed, rational, linear, mentally constructed types of systems. Um, that are not in co-creation with the earth itself. There's that, it's, it kind of exists cut off, right? When we thought we were cast out from Eden, we said, well, we got to figure this out on our own, right? Uh, and the way we did that was through the brain. Like the thought, like I, talked, I talked a little bit about um, how we moved into this kind of masculine space where thought is the precursor to being. Right, and so we we conceived of these systems, systems of work, of economics, of um, kind of these rhythms, right? And we are governed by by types of rhythms, but these rhythms are divorced from the natural energies and the natural movements of the earth itself. So we are when we exist within these more mental, rational, linear systems. So a great example of that could be the work week, right? It it a lot of these systems are. I'm not going to say they're, they're necessarily arbitrary because they are designed to create outcomes, right? Specific outcomes. But if we think about something like the work week, um, that's a very, as it exists in our culture, a very structured system that is constant for the most part. I mean, for most people, something like the work week is a certain number of days on, a certain number of days off, and that doesn't shift or change, right? That's just... Um, consistent, right? And it's, and that's a certain des designated number of hours a day. And there's this time that you have to rest and this time that you have to work and this time that you have to eat. And it's all kind of delineated, right? When I, and now I'm kind of going off my notes here, but I, I feel like this is, it's really important because I just gave a bunch of context. I think it's really important to start grounding some of what I'm saying in like a, in like a particular, particular, particular human experience that I had. Um, when I moved away from that for a while, and I was um, kind of granted this, a, a miraculous um, kind of means of moving away from that very, very structured way of living. Um, and I moved for a couple of years, I traveled and wrote. 
and I was given this this beautiful time where there was no imposed structure on me at all. It was this time of um, very deep rest, about two years of very deep rest and creation. So in that time, I wrote two books and kind of one that was a bit of an... So it's not like it's not like this time was associated, and this I'll talk more about later, um, a very big difference between productivity and creation, right? So the fact that in that time I wrote a number of books was, um, but, but it was never driven by a sense of productivity. That was, that was driven by, that was, that emerged from a place of pure creation. And that place of, of creation was amplified fully because I was in for the first time without any imposed structure with financials taken care of, I was able to fully tune into the natural needs and rhythms of my body. And I was able to rest when I needed to rest. And I was able to eat when I needed to eat. I was able to eat what I needed to eat. I was able to move my body when I needed to move it. And there was nothing governing when that got to happen and how that got to happen and what it was. And I'm, I'm laughing because I, I told a story uh, <laughs> to someone yesterday about how I'd worked in this, um, I used to work in the, a district office at a school district. And, um, and I would, at lunch, I would go to, to a yoga class nearby and I would take my lunch hour to go do that. And at one point someone told me to stop doing that because um, if, you know, people saw me, then they would think I didn't have enough to do, right? And then my job would be in jeopardy and all these things. And, and, and so, so you can feel in that, like, my body needs this movement. There's this designated time. I'm choosing, you know, I have to choose between movement and eating, essentially, right? I'm choosing movement. So there's like this scarcity. There's a deep, and, and in that also, like, also don't do that, um, even in that small allotted time, because then y your means of survival could be um, actually jeopardized. So, so I think that's a really potent story in some ways because it shows the layers and layers and layers that we live within um, that seem to point us, and I'm going to talk a lot about this in a moment, but the, the difference between survival and thriving, right? And so that was that state. I have to, I have to choose this or that for my body. I cannot meet all the needs of my body, so I only can meet this need right now, and I just have to put up with that. Right. And also, I'm afraid that if I try to meet that need for my body, I actually am going to run out of money because I'm going to be fired or something. Right. Like, so there's like layers and layers of that that's built into these imposed structures and these imposed systems that are not are not at all designed around the needs of the body. And in many ways, we um, in the in the masculine sense, and I'm drawing a little bit from some of the work of David Data here, um, who has, uh, I think, some powerful insights into um, masculine and feminine energies and how they manifest and how they work. Um, but the, the, if we think about our systems, economic systems, work systems, right, all these systems, if we think about them as springing from the rational linear brain, the masculine, right, in many ways, uh, the, something David Data mentions is that the masculine doesn't 
necessarily, and this is a whole other topic of conversation. I'm just going to bring it up and then you can take it or leave it. Right. But essentially talks about how the masculine doesn't view the body as a source of pleasure or nourishment or it's not it's like the in some ways that there's this utilitarian aspect like the body carries the brain around and, I'll, and there's that's part of um the excerpt i think one of the excerpts i'm going to read but the body's kind of there to carry the brain around as long as it's functioning like it gets the brain from place to place and things happen and you can do stuff right <laughs> and you can produce things um and that's kind of a that can be a very kind of a, a masculine way of conceiving of the body and of how to move in the world and as we move into the new eden Right, this this plane of consciousness that's very heart centered, very heart based. It's more feminine. It's more yin. It's more in tune with the rhythms of the earth and the rhythms of the body as they are in perfect connection with the earth itself. And so, um, this will at some point come back to this idea of evolution, and um, the idea that we have up until now, and in, in what I would say is kind of a masculine. Uh, paradigm, we've thought about survival of the fittest. We thought about evolution as the way to survive in the world. But as we move into the new Eden, this plane of consciousness, this heart-centered plane of consciousness is fully integrated, uh, fully in that state of connection and interdependence with all beings, right? We are going to actually shift into evolving to thrive, Right. So survival, which we talked about, is like kind of the bare minimum. And it's that feeling, those layers of scarcity of will I lose this? I just need to get enough. I can't I can't allow my body to have all of its needs met. So I'm just going to pick this one and this one. I have to prioritize all the time and see how that comes from like this compartmentalizing in the brain. And it's it can be very stressful right into this natural way of being evolving so that we thrive in our bodies with the earth. And this is a much more feminine way of being. And actually, um, a story is coming up about, uh, it's, a, it's a Ram Dass story where, um, oh gosh, this is all off script, you guys, but here we go. Um, it, was a, it was a story Ram Dass told about his guru, um, Neem Kurli Baba, and they were in India. And if you don't know Ram Dass, please, oh, just, he is one of my favorite teachers. Uh, and Neem Kurli Baba points it. And so there's um, there's a word in, in Hindi, and I'm going to, oh, I, I am probably way off, but it's it's ma, and essentially ma refers to the feminine or to women or any point. And so the guru points to the women in the group, and he says, you know, who are they? And he says, they're ma. Like, and that makes sense because they're, they're embodied as women. But then he points to the men in the group, and he says, who are they? And Ram Dass is like, well, who are they? And he says, ma. Right? So even though men as an embodied masculine, right, more, and, and again, we, we all have both energies within us, but most men, the majority of men, are oriented more toward the masculine. They live in a body. There's a deeply feminine, like the, the manifestation is deeply feminine of the earth right of the earth and so um so in in many ways as we move into this more feminine heart-centered body-centered embodied way of being this new eden this is actually more natural not just for women but for men as well all right it's just not something um that i believe men have as many points of access to because women 
um, have natural rhythms that follow seasons, that follow the moon, that follow, like we're, we're, we're much, in, in a lot of ways, our bodies are more contextual. Like we're going to feel different if the moon is here versus if the moon is here. And maybe on subtle levels, men feel that, but more, um, but much at much more subtle levels, much more subtle levels. So, um, so you may argue, agree or disagree with all of this. Just kind of let it wash over. You maybe stay open to some of these ideas uh, because we're going to, this is kind of a platform that we're going to build from, right? This is a foundational stuff that we're going to talk more, uh, build in this podcast episode. So our bodies, right? Our bodies are going to be a very powerful guide to bringing us into the new Eden, this plane of consciousness that is interdependent, fully connected, heart-centered, embodied. And our bodies themselves, as perfect fractals of the earth, our bodies which contain, whether you're a man or a woman, our bodies which hold and know these deep secrets, these ancient secrets of restoration and thriving, right? Our bodies, as we tune in and listen, are going to lead us more and more into that place of consciousness, right? Where we are in harmony. And um, so this is a form of transfiguration. As we listen to our bodies and let our bodies tell us what, what they need, we are transfiguring ourselves, right? At the deepest levels. And the body, as you tune in and listen, the body will let you know what it needs and when, right? And it's kind of like, uh, well, I'll, again, once I read the excerpts, you'll see, but I, I, I see this as a form of uh, one of the most powerful forms of worship that we can engage in as, as embodied on this planet, incarnated on this planet in humans to tend to listen to nourish, love the body, right? is a way, because we're perfect fractals of the earth, this is a way that we honor the earth. This is a way that we show our reverence and, and worship for this, this very powerful being um, who we are deeply, deeply connected to. And what, um, what I discovered as I listened to the body, to my body, the more it began to talk to me and the more I began to listen, was a, a gentle and natural releasing of what up until that point had been very powerful addictions that I had been actually trying with my willpower to get rid of. Um, but it turned out that I didn't need to overcome the addictions, I simply needed to allow my body to release them and allow my body to talk to me. And so one of them was alcohol. Um, that, that was a pretty obvious one. But then over time, that was one of the first ones. And then over time, and I had to allow this, right? Because that was a way of, that was a, a lifestyle for a long, long time for me. And then um, just, I got to this point where the body just, I allowed it to release it and I didn't, and it, and, and so I'm talking about a very individualized personal experience. I'm not saying this is true for everyone. Like you might have other, your body might have other needs, other, other ideas. But for me personally, I went through some very drastic changes, especially in, in my diet over time. Um, my body just, it stopped being able to tolerate all animal products. And this is not a moral thing. 
this is just, I just want to give an example of ways that my, my personal body has transfigured since listening to it. And, um, it wasn't a moral choice. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't a rejection of that lifestyle or that way of being. This was just a, a simple message from my body saying, um, I feel better when we eat, um, in, in this way. And, and this didn't happen overnight, by the way, this is over the series, um, series of years that this happened. Right. And, and slowly things just began to fade out and I didn't miss them either. It was like this faded out, um, eating meat faded out and then dairy. Well, dairy was actually first for me. Anyway, it's just, it just, this was, and so this was a form of transfiguration. And so the, the um, and then the last thing to go were eggs and, and once in a while I can have an egg <laughs> if my body asked for it. Right. That's what I'm saying is if my body said tomorrow we need to eat you know, this particular thing, I would listen and I would do it, right? This isn't, um, this isn't like a hard and fast rule. This is a constant tuning in, uh, one ear tuned into what the body is saying, how it wants to be nourished, how it wants to move, right? For many, many, many years, I played, um, very high level sports. I was an elite athlete and that's, that felt good at the time. And then, um, at one point, um, what actually, I was told was I went through this very powerful uh, kind of, you could say, physical initiation where uh, I remember it was almost like one week to the next. One week I was doing CrossFit every day and I was thriving with it. And the next week I went in and did the same kind of workout and I was prostrate for, I was on my back for three days. And I said, what is going on? And what I heard was there's this powerful influx of light happening light codes coming in that was that made my body less dense and less able to um thrive in those dense types of workouts and that also coincided with the letting go of some of the denser foods so that was just how my body was transfiguring and how it was and that was a, an explanation for me so again this is a personal story you're the, for, you might eat all sorts of things and do all sorts of things and that that has no as long as it's what your body's telling you it wants and needs then you're right on, you're right on track, right? What I discovered too, is that I needed a lot of rest, far more rest than I'd ever had in my life. And I had this time, those couple of years where when my body was tired, I let it rest. And something about that was so, it was like, it opened up an entire new relationship with my body because my body could suddenly trust that when it asked for something, I would, I would not try to override it or tell it what to do, or, or treat these needs as an inconvenience. But I would let, I would let the body tell me, and then I would listen. And I had the space and time to do that. And it was very, very powerful. So, um, okay. So what happens when we are thriving? What happens when we are thriving? So Again, true thriving, true thriving on this planet in these bodies will happen through the body itself. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about what thriving actually is. Okay, what it could feel like, right? And again, this happens by degrees. This happens by degrees. Um, it, it's not necessary. Maybe for you, it happens overnight, but <laughs> um, but this is as with any relationship, it takes time. It takes time. So. Um, I'm just, so I'm going to read a couple excerpts and I gave us a lot of context. So the excerpts in some ways are a crystallization of some of the, the context I gave us. Um, and then we're going to end with talking about what, 
you know, what true thriving could actually look and feel like on, in this. Um, and that's, again, once we move into embodied thriving, that is a, um, that is a movement into this new, this heart-centered, body-centered plane of consciousness that I call the new Eden that's coming. So that, that's upon us, <laughs> that's dawning, that's here. <laughs> um, so, all right, so I'm going to read a couple excerpts from the New Eden Paradise Retold. And if you're following along, I'm starting on page 64 in a section called Embodiment. Um, and I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit. So just that's where we're starting. I've got my little notes here. So that's where we're going to start. And I will say quickly, because this is, mm, this is, re this is related, that um, I had this very... Uh, powerful experience with within this past week within my solar plexus and again we were talking about transfiguration and how things happen like you you tune in and then these part these energy centers in the body you feel them in the body and um it was almost like a, a consecration of so the solar plexus, if, you, if you're, if you know chakras or you don't, that's kind of where you talk a lot about your willpower. It can be a very, um, you could say almost masculine oriented kind of energy center because it's around will, it's around, it's around kind of move, how you move in the world, how you move in the world and how you get things done kind of. And, and I know this is a, that's a one way of thinking of it. There's lots of ways of thinking about this, but that's how I experience it. And what I felt was this this powerful consecration, which which has happened over time, right? As you, but this powerful consecration of will, my will, with the divine knowing of the body. And suddenly within that, there's this deep sense of peace and stillness. It's almost like like dwelling within this temple that is so perfectly aligned with the body, with divine will, that there, there is a complete absence of second guessing. You just don't question yourself because every movement you take, come, you take comes from this centered place, right? Where your will and kind of the divine collective will is all in perfect alignment. And I felt this week, like the pieces of me that were still trying to force things to happen, like the parts of my will that were still kind of enmeshed with the ego and trying to make things happen that they didn't want to be right I, I came up against those energies very strong this week and um and over kind of the course of some of my meditations that got kind of resolved resolved is the word resolved into this state of pure alignment with the solar plexus and that's an that's a deep initiation if it's happening to me then that might be just words for what might be happening to you as well right um because we're all kind of we're very connected here so um so that is a um that wanted to come through as just a note before i jump into talking about thriving because part of thriving is going to be that alignment because the um the energy of second guessing yourself or the energy of um, we talk about like self-doubt as a parasitic energy, that kind of thing that just disappears when you come into alignment with this powerful, powerful energy center that is, um, that when it's not cut off, right? Like the masculine can sometimes feel cut off when it's not cut off and it's fully integrated. Suddenly, um, suddenly your, your will and your ability to create in the world through the body in the, in the world of form becomes absolutely amplified and enhanced. 
all the roadblocks go away. All the barriers go away. It's, it's incredible. Um, it's incredible. So anyway, so that's just having that as maybe a, something to think about as we move into some of these excerpts. So here we go. Um, embodiment, page 64. I wrote, currently, from our Western medicinal systems to the dominant way of life in this culture, the body, when considered at all, is seen largely as an inconvenience. We spend much time, energy, and innovation devising ways to force the body to conform to accepted norms that deny the body's needs and, in many ways, its very existence. From school to the workplace, the body is considered primarily, primarily to be a vehicle for carrying the brain from one point to another. It is a means of productivity and when ill or out of balance, a nuisance that prevents us from doing more important and productive things. We spend much of our time denying, suppressing, or drugging into submission the body's natural rhythms, desires, and needs. The great change that is upon us will not occur in spite of the body, but through it and because of it. The new Eden is the way of the body. It will offer a way of living that unconditionally loves, honors, listens to, and tends to the body as holy. In these coming times, we will finally recognize the body not as a dense thing to be transcended, but as the most advanced form of spiritual technology in the universe. Well, that's quite the declaration. We might have to come back to that. <laughs> um, but I, I talked about that because uh, we, oh, here we go. Um, da, da, da. Yeah, I talked about that because a lot of, uh, I think earlier in this, or maybe later in this um, section, just a quick summary. There are texts coming to light now that we're tuning into this more um, feminine way of being. There's texts coming to light, especially in, in uh, religious traditions, that show that um, powerful, deep uh, wisdom of the earth and the body was not excluded from these texts. So if you read, uh, for instance, um, and I won't go into all of it. Oh, no, I do talk about it earlier in this one. Uh, there was a, a text that came to light um, called the Essene Gospel of Peace. And if you read this, you see that um, after the Lord's Prayer, which in some ways is a, a prayer to the, to the masculine, the Father, right after that is actually a prayer to the Earth Mother in the exact same cadence. And so you see um, in, these, in these religious texts, in these new texts that are coming to light, um, because we're ready to receive them now as a collective, especially in the Western world, right? Um, we see that the body and the earth were elevated to um, the same levels of holiness, of reverence as the mind, the spirit. And so when I talk about um, in these coming times, we will finally recognize the body not as a dense thing to be transcended. What I'm talking about is what's become kind of a masculine narrative within a lot of religions, which is um, mistrusting the body or seeing it as something that uh, needs to be uh, kind of, it, there's that whole mind over matter thing, like the body needs to submit to these, um, these other powers. And what, um, what I'm talking, and, and, and even, uh, even in something like you could say Buddhism, right? The idea of when you finally exit the wheel of samsara, you've been freed from the, uh, 
necessity of incarnating into form, right? Well, this totally shifts that as uh, looking at form as the ultimate expression of the soul and looking at form as one of the most, intending to the form as one of the most powerful um, ways to worship as a soul. So this is very different from uh, what I'm talking about here is like a, a huge shift from what we've kind of come to assume and what we've seen the body as. So that's when I say, um, in these coming times, we'll finally recognize a body not as a dense thing to be transcended, right? That's what I'm talking about, that we're actually fully inhabiting, integrating, re revering, worshiping the body um, as, a, as a manifestation of divine will. So I say we talk of higher planes as though they are something exclusive to this physical realm. Our bodies, however, are spirit-made flesh. They are an unfathomable feat of divine will. They are spiritual creation moved into being by the power of our soul. Our bodies are perfect holograms of the higher dimensions channeled into form through the physical laws of this realm. In short, our bodies are miracles and they are capable of miraculous things. The body is, a, is perfectly constructed to interact with this world of form while also maintaining communication with subtle, multidimensional aspects of existence. We live within a highly attuned receiver capable of picking up and manifesting the most exquisitely refined frequencies of the universe. So, and then I say, to end this section, I say, our, <laughs> Accepting this truth, right? The truth that um, our bodies are worthy of reverence and worship. Accepting this truth allows us to claim our humanity as a high honor, opening the way to explore our humanity with curiosity and reverence. As we explore our humanity, we will come over and over again back to the mysteries of the body. And here's what I mentioned earlier. The soul, after all, is formless. Therefore, it is the body that makes us human. In this way, we understand that the secrets of humanity must exist within the body itself. Our bodies are exquisite masterpieces wrought by a master hand, and, as, and they serve as testimony to the power of our soul's will. The body is the key to all knowledge, all evolution, and all of the secrets of this planet, and it is through our bodies that the new Eden will manifest. So a note here, right? This, so something that's coming up very powerfully is, okay, so we know our bodies are capable of, in, in this plane of consciousness, right? When we're, even within all these imposed structures, these systems that deny um, or, or force the, deny the natural rhythms of the body or force the natural rhythms of the body to submit to, um, to these imposed systems, right? Even within that, we see our bodies capable of miraculous things, right? Miraculous healing that has nothing to do with our, our rational mind, right? You don't, ra if you get a, a bruise, you don't rationally like think your way into getting rid of the bruise. The body just knows how to do that. This is child's play compared to what the body is actually capable of, right? When we begin to listen to our rhythms, when we begin to listen to the body and allow it to reveal its secrets, the, the same intelligence that created the transfiguration of the cat caterpillar to the butterfly, that 
that lives as a knowing within our very DNA. That kind of knowing. But that can only be accessed through deeper and deeper and deeper listening and intimacy with the body. So the things that we see our bodies capable of, right, is just a tiny, tiny bit of the types of, and, and the things I'm talking about are absolutely unfathomable. I know that this is true, but I couldn't tell you necessarily what the body is capable of doing because um, we're still working on creating that relationship. But, but I mean, there is the, the story of, of Isis who, who created her own winged form, right? And maybe that's a myth, or maybe she had, she who was in perfect communion with the earth, right? The reason she was a goddess is that she was completely consecrated to um, the will and the knowing of the earth. Maybe that, that was actually true. And maybe there was something within her, a knowing that unlocked, that allowed her to grow wings, right? And we say, well, that's crazy, but the caterpillar does it. The dragonfly does it, right? There's a um, there's a line in, in the Gene Keys that I absolutely love, uh, the Gene Keys by Richard Rudd. There's a line that says that all we need, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like all we need for, for magic to come into form is structure and an open mind. Right, so the, the wider our minds are open, the more the structure of this transfiguration will be revealed. And the more our, the, the, the fathomless, limitless potentials of our bodies, which hold the pure creative intelligence of the earth herself, the more that's going to become manifest, right? So I know I'm saying some kind of radical things, but I also, um, I also very deeply feel like, and know that this is, this is the way of things. And we, we've only just, with this, with the plane of consciousness we're in, which can be very restricted, right? Not very open, right? The, the, the openness of what's possible, right? The, in many ways limited by this linear rational way of being in the world. Um, when we move into the space of the heart, when we move into the new Eden, the heart is fathomless. It is limitless, right? If there's, if there's a way to create something, or there is something that, that is in attunement with like the larger consciousness that wants to be created, the, the structure will appear, right? And I like to also say, this is mine, but not Richard Rice, but this is mine, but I like to say just because you can explain something doesn't mean it's not magic, right? Just because you can explain how a butterfly forms in a, in a chrysalis, it doesn't mean that's not if you take a step back and look what's actually happening, that doesn't mean it's not magic. So what kind of magic are we going to be capable of once we begin to truly tune into our bodies and allow them to be fully informed by the wisdom and intelligence and the creative powers of the earth, which we are made of and which we are a fractal of? Wow, that's a question. Let's find out. Um, and by let's find out, now, now I'm going to read. I'm not going to give you the answer, but we find out by living it, right? This is one of, as Rilke would say, this is one of those questions that we're living now, right? And, and, I, and I've asked it, so now we're living it. <laughs> um, so I'm going to just, I skipped ahead now to page 82, and this is a section on thriving. 
um, I end, I said I would, um, this is the final section in this uh, larger passage on embodiment. And I said, thriving, I would like to end this section on embodiment by describing the goal, the new goal of evolution, that is thriving. As we resolve the age-old conflict between masculine and feminine, so I'm not going to go into this in this episode, but there is a, um, there is a powerful, um, again, an interdependence that needs to come into being between masculine and feminine. And we've had in many ways like this, the battle, and I go into the battle of the sexes and the, the mechanisms of, of evolving to thrive, which is going to be through sexual selection and all of this stuff. And I know I'm just kind of sprinkling that in. Maybe that's a teaser for a, another episode coming up, but, um, but just so you know, that's where all that was coming from. There's a there's a very powerful uh, like interdependence that needs to begin to happen first within between masculine and feminine energies, and then that's going to begin to um, to express within the embodied um, versions, the embodied incarnated versions of masculine and feminine energies, which is men and women. But it has to happen internally first. So as I'm talking about that, that's where that came from. Um, as we resolve the age-old conflict between masculine and feminine, we define new synchronistic roles for these energies that allow all energy to move fluidly through the body itself without blockage or suppression. Thriving, then, is something that happens through the body, and the communication of this thriving is reflected in the holistic and surrendered state of the person experiencing it. So that's the openness, the, the the uh, the holistic and surrendered state that surrendered that state of surrender that is the openness that allows the structure to reveal itself for magic to form right <clears throat> that is it would be it will be felt in the body and reflected through the expression of the subtle bodies emotional mental and spiritual so this is a multi-dimensional alignment um, the body holds in a single dense point of existence every dimension and aspect of reality that exists in the universe. Right? So between the alchemy of the body and the spirit, right? the body holds the secrets of the earth, the spirit holds um, those ethereal realms, the secrets of the ethereal realm. So within that, the body, the alchemy between them, right? Be, it creates a, this dense point of existence where every dimension and aspect of reality exists, uh, that's in the universe, exists within the body. So the body then is our immediate gateway and unerring guide to the nature of reality. Souls incarnating into a human body hold a distinct advantage as the body is the perfect teacher of consciousness. The body cannot help but reflect perfectly, accurately, and without ambiguity exactly the lessons needed in the moment to evolve. In order... To take full advantage of this superpower, we must orient ourselves to the idea that the body is templated to live in perfect health. Beginning from this assumption, we can approach our own body as a researcher would. This is, I'm also in my other life a researcher, so I do, <laughs> I approach a lot of things that way. Um, so we can approach our body as a researcher would, inquiring without judgment into the simple questions of what makes it feel good and what doesn't. We may find some of the things we think feel good, such as addictions, actually result in discomfort or suffering, right? So something that's something I found, we'll say like with something like sugar, that was one of the last things to go. One day my body just said, I don't, I don't like sugar. And I heard it loud and clear and I was able to let it go and I felt a lot better. <laughs> it might kind of feel good at the time, uh, but then ultimately it resulted in suffering. So that when that, I let that one go, I can eat honey though sometimes. Anyway. 
I guess you're getting a few side notes here. Here we go. The body is a holograph of Earth holding precisely her energy and power, yet our bodies will not be able to demonstrate the fullness of their gifts until they are allowed to thrive. This will require that we create conditions for thriving. A flower cannot expect to bloom in a snowstorm. An arctic fox cannot be expected to prosper in a desert. Likewise, we cannot hope to tap into the deep and miraculous nature of our bodies until we begin to live in a way that unconditionally supports its needs. We may begin to notice and respond to our natural rhythms of sleep and wakefulness, of eating and movement. We may let these rhythms shift over time and with the seasons. In this way, we always have one inner ear turned toward the voice of the body, allowing it to tell us what it needs and when, allowing it to lead us into the perfect balance, health, and vitality that, is, that it is capable of, achir of achieving. <laughs> achieving. <laughs> achieving. Um, the lessons we learn and the fears we overcome as we allow our lives to come into harmony with the rhythms of our body will eventually crystallize into the wisdom we have to offer the world. It takes courage, after all, to prioritize the body. As mentioned earlier, our culture still views the body and the earth as something to be conquered, overcome, denied, or forced into submission. The dominant way of life in our world layers artificial constructs over our lives, demanding that we live according to unnatural and arbitrary schedules. I almost said schedules because I've been reading a lot of British literature lately. Arbitrary schedules. <laughs> To decide, without question or compromise, that the, body, the body's needs are more important than an external agenda is a radical act of self-love. I'm going to read that one more time. To decide, without question or compromise, that the body's needs are more important than an external agenda is a radical act of self-love. I believe that tending to the body is the highest form of worship we can perform while living in human form. It is the most direct way for us to honor our mother. Our bodies are one with the earth herself, forming a perfect fractal of her majesty, magic, and wonder. As such, the lessons we learn through listening and responding to the needs of our body translate directly to the needs and solutions for healing and restoring Mother Earth. I'm going to read that one one more time, too, because a lot of times we feel all this guilt about not doing enough for the earth. If we're not tending to our bodies, we're not tending to the earth. It's just that simple. So I said... Um, as such, the lessons we learn through listening and responding to the needs of our body translate directly to the needs and solutions for healing and restoring Mother Earth. Our relationship then becomes symbiotic, reciprocal, and transpersonal as the Earth Mother responds to our growing courage by showing us the path to joyful thriving. When we begin to tend to the body, the body itself will gradually begin to reveal its secrets to us, the secrets that led to the manifestation of the body in the first place. The body is a multidimensional instrument with the capacity to respond to unseen cosmic frequencies. It is a vast library holding access to all that has ever been known. We are hungry for this knowing and it is time for the secrets of life to be revealed.
All right, I'm going to read. I'm skipping ahead to page 86. There's a lot in this. I, I recommend reading the whole thing at some point because um, there's a lot in here. But just to stay, because I go on a couple um, side paths that, that end up tying up all the loose ends of the past. So I don't want to go into all of it right now, but I'm going to say it was a courageous, so I'm talking about myself here. It was a courageous commitment to choose to meet the needs of my body, no matter how unreasonable or inconvenient or expensive. So that's another one, right? Expensive. We don't meet the needs of our bodies. We choose, we prioritize. We say, I can meet this meet this need, but not that one, right? So this is, this is a radical way of being. And I said, however, once I began to act in accord with my newfound sense of worthiness, I was astonished, right? So an open mind, the structure reveals itself. I was astonished to see how the universe gathered to support me. Miracles come to me. I have learned to open and receive them, not through a sense of entitlement, but from a feeling of worthiness, gratitude, and devotion. I let the universe worship me as I have begun to worship myself, not as the ego would through vanity and pride, but as God, you could say God, divine source, right? As God would through joy and love, tenderness, and unconditional support. I began to worship myself as a divine creation, as a holy temple of divine light. In doing so, I show the world how I expect and deserve to be treated. Now, this is not just true for me. This is true for every single person. You begin to love yourself as an instrument, as a, as a manifestation of divine light. It's going to be very, very hard for the world to treat you as anything less because you won't treat yourself as anything less. Right? So we're talking here, moving into the body, the worship of the body as a form of unconditional love. I said, no need can be transcended until it has been fully met, right? So again, we can see the needs of our, of our bodies and inconvenience, but what's interesting is the more we begin to meet those needs, the more they kind of dissipate. They become less of an issue. Um, they just, it's, it's like the more we meet ourselves, the less we need. <laughs> the less we need, the more, we, the less we consume, right? So then it just, it becomes this whole cycle of, of restoration. So I said, um, the path to thriving then begins with meeting your body with compassion in every given moment. When you prioritize meeting the needs of your body, it will relax more and more into trust. As the body relaxes into trust, your whole being begins to relax into trust. And as with any relationship, a deepening of trust engenders a deepening of intimacy. Your body will gradually begin to open, to blossom, and to reveal long-held secrets, powers, and miracles that have for so long been hidden by fear. As we embrace our bodies as the perfect divine expression of our soul, our evolution will expand and accelerate immeasurably as it becomes driven no longer by fear of death, right? That's survival. Evolution by survival is driven by the fear of death, is driven no longer by the fear of death, but by a genuine and joyful love of life. So that's the movement of our evolution, moving from being driven by the fear that we won't survive into the fear, i sorry, away from the fear that we won't survive into the joyful, unconditional love of life. That is thriving. That is evolving to thrive. So... <laughs> the body the soul downloaded into form through divine will 
a fractal of the earth that knows deeply all of the wisdom, the ancient secrets of restoration, of joy, of deep thriving that comes in conjunction with listening to and following the rhythms in every moment, the needs and rhythms of the body in every moment, right? A radical act of self-love to turn toward that. That we, and, and this comes back again to what I talked about in the episode on redemption, which is that we did not come here for endless toil. We did not come here just to survive. We came here to truly love, enjoy, sink sumptuously into this gift of incarnation of the body. Right? We came here to truly love that and experience it. We came here to experience the body as joy. Right? And so the body can lead us in that, in and through the body, the new Eden will manifest within us, as us, around us. And it starts small, like all these things. It might feel really big, like, no, we might not sprout wings this next week, right? Or in this generation or next generation. Maybe we will, right? Because the miracles of the earth live outside of temporal existence. So we could, <laughs> we totally could. Everything's possible. But maybe we, maybe, maybe we just start with, um, what's, what does my body need right now? And we, we begin to ask that question. And then we begin to listen. Okay, I need rest right now. Actually, I really need rest right now. Maybe I'll take today off of work. And the world, the world can survive without me for a day. Right? Um, because, again, these miracles, this... As we tune in to the heart, we gain access to what I keep calling the ultimate overrider, right? And suddenly, miracles, the universe, arranges itself in a way, like the more we listen, the more we commit, then the world around us begins to accommodate that in miraculous ways, absolutely miraculous ways, right? And, but we can't know it until we begin to listen. Like, the miracles are responsive to our commitment. And sometimes sometimes they're responsive um, in advance and they're proactive, right? But oftentimes what I've found is that the miracles are kind of, they, they open up as I commit to whatever it is, right? And it is, it is astonishing how the entire universe gathers to support when you are truly committed to your own thriving, to loving your body, right? To, to honoring your body as a form of worship of the earth itself, earth herself, right? As you do all these things in simple ways, it is astonishing how the entire universe seems to just converge in support of that. <laughs> so in and through the body. <laughs> oh, wow. How much fun is this? So um, as we've activated these threads with the earth, as we've spoken the words of transfiguration, as we've begun to set out some of the paths to that, some of the mechanisms for that, turning toward the body, listening, you may find some changes occurring 
in you, for you, through you. So allow, um, as much as possible, that surrendered state of openness to allow it and listen and be open to the messages that come, uh, it's going to rapidly accelerate this feeling of deep stillness and well-being and consecration that begins to erase things like self-doubt and fear. And then we move into the state of the new Eden, which is a deep and unfettered and ecstatic joy of being. Okay. <laughs> Let's try it. Let's try it together. Let's try it this week. Let's allow it. Hmm. Ah, this has been the what, ninth, the ninth episode of When the Heart Leads. I am your host, Dr. Kate Newberg, founder of Books of Eden Publishing. If you'd like to know more about my books, my work, um, the stuff that I like to do, you can visit my website, www.booksofeden.com. It's been an absolute joy to connect with you across time and space. Thank you so much for tuning in. From my heart to yours. <laughs>